right, turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus is the second book of the Bible. It's right near the front. For me, it's page 40, I think. 48. Uh, probably different for you. <clears throat> We're going to explore one of the pillars of the faith, one of the most important, probably the second most important person in the Bible, Moses. And you have to say, Moses. Everybody should get that you know, Charlton Heston feel going on. Ah, uh, the Moses. Uh, so uh, I don't know why that happens, but it does. Okay, <clears throat> We're going to explore him today uh, because we're talking about prayer. We're in the middle of the series on prayer, and something very poignant was said about Moses in Exodus. In uh, verse 33, or chapter 33, 11, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. What a lineage. What, what, a, what an amazing thing to be said about someone. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. This is an amazing, wonderful, beautiful thing to think about. And as I ponder my own prayer life, my relationship with God, here on earth, this is the end game, right? This is, the, this is what I would love for here to be. I want this to be as close to heaven as it possibly can be with my relationship with God. that I could speak to the Lord and have a conversation like one speaks to a friend. And this is at the end of Exodus. And we think, you know, sometimes the Bible guys, they must have had it all together. They had it all, oh, it was just kind of you know, handed to them. They're the hero of the story, so of course it was easy for them. So that's why we're going to be in Exodus 3, 30 chapters away, to show what God had to work with at the beginning of this mess. Okay, now if you've watched the Disney, you know, the Disney uh, version of, of Moses or the Charlton Heston stuff or anything like that, you, you know that this gets to be a mess pretty quickly at the beginning of Moses' life. In this, uh, before we get into that, I want to say... As if we can have this relationship of a, a friend with God, to have speak, feeling like we're speaking face-to-face with him, that doesn't come out of prayer being our last resort. It's our first response. Our relationships with our friends are not the last resort of our, of our daily thing. It is the, the first phone call we make. Make prayer our first response, not our last resort. We often have a lot of excuses why we don't pray or why, don't we, we, why we don't engage God in prayer. I want to explore these excuses today. I want to knock them down a little bit. Four really common excuses, and they're common excuses. So common, in fact, that Moses had the same excuses. He had a list of excuses of why he couldn't really be God's man, why he couldn't have a really deep relationship with God. And he had the audacity to tell God to his face that he couldn't have a relationship with him, that he wasn't good enough, that he wasn't uh, equipped enough, that he wasn't that guy. So we're going to explore that today. Exodus 3, verse 1 and through 5. Now Moses 
was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness. Now, when you think of wilderness, I think of trees and jungle, and uh, you're the, uh, out there. The wilderness is like the worst part of the desert when you think of this area. It's not just desert, it's more inhospitable desert than desert is. I mean, just terrible, okay? Terrible. <clears throat> Sand doesn't even grow there, right? Okay, it's just bad. <laughs> I almost made Jimmy st- spit out of Starbucks. That was great. Um. <laughs> uh, now Moses was uh, wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire within a bush. Moses saw that through the bush was on fire. It did not burn up. So Moses thought, I'll go over and see this strange sight. Why? Why the bush, bush, the bush doesn't burn up? Moses wrote Exodus, so I believe he edited himself there. I will go over and see this strange sight. It's more like, what in the world? When Moses saw that he had gone over, to, or when Lord saw that he could go over and look, God called to him from within the bush. Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Now this is a very unique, interesting interchange. Chapter, uh, chapter 3 and chapter 4 of this dialogue between God and, and Moses. This transformational setting. It's very um, interesting because Moses... Basically, why is he out in the worst of the desert? He's basically in the Sinai Peninsula. Nothing is good in the Sinai Peninsula. No one really wants it. I mean, Egypt's like, sure, we'll take it. Israel's like, you can have it back. You know, you know they, it's just a terrible, nasty place. But he's in the middle of the Sinai Peninsula chasing sheep and goats around. Where he used to be in the greatest empire in the world, he has now run away into the desert to chase sheep around. There's a reason he's out there. So if you watched any of the movies, you know that he killed a man. He killed an Egyptian slaveholder. And in his shame and his fear... And thinking that his life was over, that any potential that he had, anything that he could have been, was taken away from him in a fight with a man that he killed. And so he exiles himself into the desert for 40 years. He's got a past. So that brings us to our first way in which, why we don't engage with God. Is our past. Many of you, and probably you've come across people, and I used to um, work with people that would say, you know, when I get this under control, then I'll go back to church. Or when I do this and get that figured out, then I can start a relationship with God. I'm going to be honest with you, that it doesn't work that way. God takes care of the past. He redeems the past. He redeems the present. He redeems the future. You can't do that by yourself. Moses has a past, and he uses the same excuse that we use all the time. Because I did X, I'm no longer any good. Because I did Y, I'm not valid anymore. And this is why he's like, I'm wandering in a desert. I'm not good to anyone anymore. 
Moses has condemned himself to a life of exile. When Jesus and God calls us to a conviction, there's a difference between condemnation and conviction. Condemnation is you are done. Conviction has a way out. John 3 verse 17 says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So with our past and with our junk and with the stuff that we've done, Jesus says he comes for the express purpose of saying, you're going to hell. And too often we stop there. Jesus said I was going to hell. I'm done. But Jesus comes to say, but I got a better plan for you. I can get you out. I've got the way. Let's blow this popsicle stand. He did not come into the world to condemn it, to throw it all away. He came into the world to save the world. Moses is dealing with the same thing. Jesus, or God comes into his vicinity, not to condemn him, but to set him on a new path. A path that will change the world forever. A path that starts one of the greatest stories the world's ever known. We have to overcome our condemnation if we want to have this engaging relationship with God. We've got to get over the fact that we have a past. There's not one person in here, except these two, one little beautiful baby that doesn't have a past already. All right? We all have stuff, we all have things that we'd rather not share. Rather not have things that come up in public. But God takes that and can use it for good. God says, in spite of that, I still love you. Moses, the second way is Moses has doubts. Moses has doubts. Sometimes we let our doubts keep us from engaging with God. Exodus 3, 13 to 14 says, Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. They ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell him? This is loaded with meaning because God hasn't spoken to the Israelites for 400 years. They're in slavery. They are in bondage. The last time we see them, we see the, the Hebrew nation saving the country of Egypt. Just a couple chapters earlier in Genesis, right? Joseph has come in and he has saved the the empire of Egypt from famine, from starvation. The next scene, fade to black, next scene. The very people that saved Egypt are now slaves. Plus, it's been 400 years. Where has God been in this? That's what Moses' question is, is, oh, really? You want me to do something? Where you been? I might count you a little late there, sir. He gets a little lippy with God, which is kind of funny. There's a bush on fire that's not... Okay, you're talking. He had courage. Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell him? I think Moses is looking for late to dinner is his name. 
And God responds with, I am who I am. Back off, son. I am. I am the one who is the God of your your fathers. I am the one who created you. I am the one who created all this. I am the one who knows what's going on in Egypt. I am who I am. And thinking in Egyptian pentology, I am the God of the river. I am the God of the gnats. I am the God of the frogs. I am the God of everything. I am who I am. Whatever you want to say, I am God. And so it's not a non-answer of I am who I am. It is, no, no, I am that. I am who all the stories of Abraham and Jacob and Joseph talk about. I am that God. And I know you guys have been hurting. I've been hearing your cries. And I am here to help, here to deliver. Moses has doubts. And I was thinking about this part of engaging with God a lot. And how God responds to it is he kind of refers Moses to the past of who he has been. I am the God of your fathers. And in my own doubts, this is recently in my own walk, in my own journey, in my own struggles, in my own doubts, I was praying and struggling with God and where are you? What's going on? Kind of doing the, uh, you know, the cranky whiny prayer. We all, we all have cranky whiny prayer, right? I was doing the cranky whiny, whiny prayer. And, um, and I started thinking, I was like, I got to get through this. This is not good. I am struggling here. And I'm cranky and whiny and cranky and whiny and cranky and whiny. And then I started thinking, well, God's been there in the past. I remember when, Jimmy. I remember when this marriage was healed and I remember when that person was released of a demon and I remember when this happened and I remember those little kids getting saved and I remember lives being changed and I remember drug addicts not being drug addicts anymore and I remember that happening. And that same God is the God of now and the God of here. I am who I am, I am that, and I am here. When I started remembering all that God has walked me through and all that God has been there with me and how he's been faithful in the past and how he will be faithful in the present, that he is the I am. So I think... As I was reminded, and I think as God is reminding Moses here, showing him the past. Maybe he's showing him a past of 400 years. I get that that's hard to swallow. That's longer than our country's been in existence. That God has been silent to these people. But he's saying, I've been there before, and I'm here now. This was, uh, I heard this, I thought this was really poignant. When we spend time in prayer, 
Do we spend most of our time telling God how big our problems are? Or do we tell our problems how big our God is? Because that is a drastically different frame of mind, is it not? Think about it. I'm telling the God of the universe, the God who created everything, but my toe hurts. And my toe, and it is a big, and it's important because I walk on my toe and it hurts, God. Instead of, God, you know how big God can take care of this? God's got a plan even if my toe falls off. It's okay. My toe is perfectly fine, just for uh, clarification. But I, I want to reverse that trend of, I just tell wine to God instead of saying, no, you know what problem, you know what issue, you know what that, my God can handle this and he's going to handle it however he's going to handle it. But he's got this. He's bigger than that. He's better than that. He's, he's, he's grander than that. He's not controlled by our little issues and our little problems. Third way I think we sympathize with Moses and his lack of engagement of God and why he's got hesitation in engaging with God is Moses has fears. Moses has fears. Exodus 4, verse 1, Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, Lord, did I not appear to you? What if they do not believe me or listen to me? It's fear of man. If we're not careful, we'll let people, what people think keep us from the presence of God. Moses is scared. What are they going to think? These are the same people who was like, well, yeah, I know who you are. You killed the, the, the slaver. I'm not going to listen to you. Fear of man. Jesus deals with the same issue. In John 12, he says, Yet at the same time, many even among the leaders believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue, for they loved human praise more than the praise from God. Now, being put out of the synagogue was basically you were thrown out of your community. And be like, you can't do business. You wouldn't be able to do business here in Shorewood if you got kicked out of this church, this synagogue, you, would be, you can't do business with anybody in the town, you can't, you're not going to be here, you, don't, you just might as well just move away. Everything you know in life, it's gone, it's moved, you're cut off from it. So they were scared of that, they were scared of the ramifications of their synagogue and their community standing instead of being right with God. Moses has fears. He has fear of what man is going to think, and I think this motivates us a lot. The question is, do you care more about what God thinks or what man thinks? If we're honest with ourselves, we have a trouble with this one. Maybe we've reconciled our past. Maybe we've reconciled our doubts. But figuring it out like, that I care more about what God says to me than what man says to me. This is a big deal. Fear keeps us from engaging fully with God because if we're truly honest, we're scared of what he might say to us. I think one of the tangible ways this fear plays out is sometimes in worship. 
We're scared of what the person next to us might think if we raise our hands or if we clapped off beat on accident. Tapped our foot. Uh-oh, I'm getting kind of crazy here. Right? We, we think of that because we're what's that going to think? I don't know. I'm okay. I stand next to a short person. Kelly, I, I know I can raise my hand and I'm perfectly okay. <laughs> if you're the same size, I don't know how that arm walking, hitting thing works, but... Sometimes we, you know, and this is serious because it's, a, it's an example. We worship, worshiping should be, an exp, and raising our hands or clapping or whatever should be an, an, an outward thing of whatever our heart is feeling. And this goes back to, you know, yesterday, Kelly, she received a Christmas gift on this vacation, basically, because they had a TV that ha- on the airplane that had college game day on it. She was so excited. She didn't care about the beach. She didn't care about it. She wasn't going to miss two college game days in a row. You know, vacation was saved. She about canceled the whole thing because of this. She's a college football fanatic. I could care less, but that's okay. She, she loves that. But you know, when you watch the Bears or you watch the Bulls or you watch the Blackhawks or whatever your sport is, it's perfectly acceptable to be going, you know? To go crazy. You know you do it. Don't judge me. <laughs> Unless you're a Michigan fan and all you do is this. <laughs> There's a tear coming down Perry's eye. Um, but you know, we get excited. We are fully engaged. My, my, um, <laughs> my grandma's husband has a brick, a foam brick. It's an IU bad call brick. He gets so excited, he starts throwing things at the table. We had to buy him a foam brick so he didn't break things and puncture you know, drywall in the house. So we're throwing these things. We get engaged. We're excited about it. It's a stupid game that no soul will ever be changed because of it. When I read Psalms, you see dancing. You see hands clapping. You see hands raised. You see... Screaming and yelling and excitement going on. I just feel that our Saturdays look way more like Psalms than our Sundays. Except in our Saturdays, we're worshiping a football team. Now, I lived in the South. Alabama fans would be really mad at me right now. You know? Because you guys don't cheer for your teams at all. You guys are Cubs fans for crying out loud. <laughs> Too much. Oh, it's fine if I'm making fun of Michigan, but I bring up the Cubs. <laughs> Too close. Woo, woo. Watch out, preacher. All right. And I bring that back. We have fun with it, but I want to. You know, maybe it. It's that thought of what's someone going to think about me and. Why do I raise my hands? Well, I raise my hands and, and, and just surrender to God in that moment. Or in agreement. Yes, God, you are the great I am. You are all of that. That's just what it is. That's what my arms want to do. Maybe that's scary to you. I understand the first time you do it. Maybe it's like a three-second thing like, Woo! oh, I, I was free. I was free. I felt the Holy Spirit. It's okay. I understand the first time you do those things. And I don't, I'm not hoping for dancing and spinning around and all kinds of stuff going on in here. I just want you to be able to be free with your emotions in worshiping God. That your heart would agree with your actions. So, that's that. Don't let if man's judgment in here keep you from being able to fully engage 
in worship. Fourth, Moses has excuses. <laughs> Moses has excuses from engaging fully in what God has for him. And folks, I got a feeling we pr- from your reaction, we've got excuses as well. My excuses have excuses. Exodus 4.10, Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant. Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? What, <laughs> who makes the deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and teach you what to say. I read with a little, you know, inflection there because I got a feeling that God was like, boy, I'm, I'm losing patience. I got a bush that is on fire. We're going to start doing some special effects here. If you keep on reading, he puts his hand and pulls it out, <laughs> puts it back in, comes out, it's clean. Uh, does a, throws a staff on the ground, becomes a snake, picks it back up. It's a staff again. I mean, what else do you want from me? Is that you can almost hear that and God, quit, stop it with the excuses. No, who made you? And for you that have excuses in this place, I can't do that, God. I don't know. I'm not really talented enough to do that. Who made you? At the, at the core of, who we be, of what we think and what we believe in God is if he created us, if he truly made us, then it's all him. And if he tells us to do something, he's going to back it up. Who are we If we have a stuttering problem to tell God we can't speak, more glory goes to God. There's a pastor I know, a missionary, street evangelist, called uh, Kurt Salerno. And he stutters. He can barely talk to you when he's talking. Very, very powerful guy. But when he's talking to you in a one-on-one conversation, it is like pulling teeth to try to understand what's going on. He stutters so bad. He steps into the mic, up to the mic, up to the, the stage, the platform, whatever you want to call it, where he starts talking to someone about Jesus. The stutter disappears. Every time. Every time. It's, it's, I've seen it happen. I'm like talking to him here. He walks up here, turns on his mic. Boom. What? It can only be God saying, oh, I'm going to use this vessel. Watch this. I'm going to be creative today. Who are we to say, no, God, I'm, 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 I don't know. This is this bum leg. I don't know if I could do that. Who made you? Who, who does this? Was it, is it you, Moses, or is it me? Because I'm confused in our job titles. What are our excuses? And when we hold them up to the I am who I am, do they hold any water? Probably not. Hebrews 11, verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Something I noticed about this is a bush doesn't move. I've always had the question, how long was that bush burning before Moses noticed it? If it wasn't being consumed. You know, I can be lost in my own little self-absorbed world, kicking rocks, chasing sheep. Oh, don't step in that. God could have been, he was there in the desert for 40 years. How long 
It's like, any day now, you're going to notice this bush. Any day now, you're going to pay attention. Any day now, pursue me. Any day now, chase me, Moses. Come on, chase me, Moses. Do you have any idea what I'm going to do through you, Moses? You're going to part the Red Sea. You're going to have the Ten Commandments. You're going to do fun miracles. Do you know what you're going to do? Just open your eyes and see the bush. See me and come over here. I think a lot of this is about pursuit. Chasing after God. Opening our eyes to what he is up to. What happens to our prayer life when we step over our past? Overcome our doubts. Put down our fears and stop the excuses. Instead, we seek him, pursue him, chase him, and obey him. I want to find these bushes. I want to stop arguing with God. Pretty, as we read it and we know the end of the story, we know how Moses is going to be used. We know all the amazing things are going to go on. This whole chapter, these two chapters, three and four, look really petty, don't they? They just look silly. Like, Moses, if you could only see the end of the book, if you could only see what's going to happen. If I look at my life and I look at your lives, if we could only see how God's going to work in the end, We don't get that view. We don't get to read the last chapter of the book first. It's part of the journey. It's part of the pursuit. It's part of the the joy. It's part of the excitement of going through the whole thing with him. Trusting that he is the I am. Some of us have been using the excuse of our past, of our doubts, and of our fears our excuses to keep us from engaging with God, from truly chasing him and pursuing him. God has the ability and wants to redeem our past, our present, and our future into something beautiful and wonderful. No matter what it is, what it was, he can change it all. Maybe today you resonated with one of these excuses or one of these doubts or one of these issues that we raised. I want to urge you in our prayer time together as the band comes up to talk to God and put down the, the stuff and say, God, I... If it's my past, God, will you take my past? If it's my fears, God, will you take my fears? If it's my doubts, God, can you take my doubts? If it's my excuses, Lord, will you keep my excuses from me? That in this moment that you will surrender it, whatever it is, maybe it's all four, to God. Say, Lord, take this, whatever this is. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for today. Lord, I thank you for this moment. 
God, I'm sorry I keep on putting roadblocks in our relationship. I'm sorry that I seem to be getting in the way a lot of what you have for me. God, I ask you to move in us and move in these people to make us aware of the ways in which we can engage with you. God, that this week you would open the scripture to us like never before. We read it with a fresh, fresh eyes and fresh spirit. Lord, when we worship, our hearts engaged in a whole new way. Lord, that you can lead us to the places where we can remember how you've been there for us in the past and trust that you will be there for us in the future. God, we need you. Open our eyes to the burning bushes in our lives. Maybe we've had blinders on for a long, long time. That we would see you in our daily grind. That we would see you working and active in the places of employment, in the places in our homes, and whatever we're doing. Got some of us right now to be released from our past. It has trapped us. And we're vicious in this vicious cycle, just remembering what was. And it drags us down and it's drowning us. And God, right now I pray that you would release us from that condemnation. That you would show us there is light at the end of the tunnel. There is hope. There is a future for us. That you love us and that you care for us. And you're calling us to something better. Our past does not disqualify us from a relationship with you. God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. We don't deserve this engagement. You are creator of the world. And yet you want to call us friend. God, I ask for the courage to live a kind of life that talks to you face to face. Lord, we love you. We long to love you more. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.